Welcome to the Cosmic Business Podcast. I'm Paula Crossfield, a Vedic astrologer, business coach, and CEO of Weave Your Bliss, a company with the goal to help a million spirit-led entrepreneurs build a cosmic business around their genius so that they can earn wildly well and bankroll the change they want to see in the world. A cosmic business is a new paradigm business that believes in collaboration over competition, building a business around your unique genius, aligning to the planets and your intuition, leading with your values, putting your health and the health of the planet first, treating people fairly and building giving into your business model. Sounds fabulous, right? On this show, I will take you behind the scenes of my thriving multi-six-figure business, including strategy on closing more sales, nurturing your community online, plus astrological insights to optimize your business and life. We'll also feature conversations with spirit-led business owners, creatives, and change makers to inspire you. I'm coming to you from our regenerative farm in rural Maine, my happy place, where we are currently creating space to welcome community for retreat and earth reconnection. Let's jump into the conversation. Hello and welcome to the Cosmic Business Podcast. This is Paula. I'm so grateful that you're here. In today's episode, I spoke with Rachel Murphy who is a marketing nerd just like me, and you won't want to miss our rich conversation. Before we jump into today's conversation, I want to tell you about a free roundtable discussion I'm hosting on Wednesday called Bankroll the Change, Make Money, Do Good. It features incredible coaches, entrepreneurs, and creatives who are giving back in big ways from their businesses. Not only will they be sharing their wisdom and experience, but you'll also be able to ask questions on the call and share your experiences too. If you miss the live session, I'll be sending out a recording. Again, it's totally free and you can sign up at the link in the show notes. And if you are already giving back in your business or you would like to be, I'd also love to hear from you. I'm doing some research for a book and your contributions will help me know what would be most helpful for you. There's also a link in the show notes to fill out a quick survey. It shouldn't take you more than five minutes. And I am so, so grateful for your time. Okay. My guest today, Rachel Murphy is a fractional marketing manager who works with holistic health practitioners to grow their personal brand, crush their digital marketing strategy, and create content that feels good and works. She received her business degree in marketing before kicking off her career at a digital marketing company working with Fortune 500 retailers. She left corporate America to start an Ayurvedic brand before realizing she was more marketer than practitioner and pivoted to serve that niche in a new business that she calls Rooted Strategy. So in this episode, we discuss what marketing is really about. We talk about ethical marketing practices, what a hook is, and how to up-level your content with the strategy. We also got Rachel's hot take on AI. You won't want to miss how she's using it in her business. And we talk about the power of niching and what to be doing at the beginning and then later on in business and so much more. You really don't want to miss this episode. So without further ado, here's my interview with Rachel Murphy. Hi, Rachel. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have you because you know I've been following your work for several months now. I'm a big marketing nerd. (laughs) As I said, when I reached out to you, like I really love what you're doing and how you're helping people market and specifically supporting holistic practitioners. I love that you like really identified that as your ideal client. And so 
Maybe you can talk a little bit about like what made you decide to choose that as a niche. Yeah. I feel like I got here is like, it's really been a winding journey. And now I know I'm not at the end, but I finally feel like all of these things have kind of converged to, to lead me here. So I've always known I want to do something in business and marketing. And I went to business school and started in the track of like working at a digital marketing agency. And a few years into that, I had all of these personal health issues myself that I kind of got no no answers for. And it was really a struggle for me because my dad is, I think, one of the smartest people I know. And he was a doctor. And I really turned to him in this. And I started to see some of the shortcomings of Western medicine where like, no matter how many tests I had done, it was like, I would always left with more questions than answers. And so this really kickstarted like my DIY <laughs> version of health where I became a yoga instructor and I tried all these diets and did all these things. And it wasn't until like two years into that journey, I found Ayurveda and it was just like mind blowing for me. Like symptoms I had for a long time finally started to clear up. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I need to know more about this. And so that started to be kind of like the seed of me getting into holistic health and Ayurveda and into this world. And I signed up to go to school at CCA, California College of Ayurveda. And I still wasn't really sure you know, what I wanted to do with this. I never really saw myself as like a medicine woman or a practitioner, but it was so fascinating to me. I'm like, more people need to know what this is. So me and my... She was my Ayurvedic practitioner at that time, but we became business partners and we started a holistic wellness brand. And it was a lot for fun. We did retreats, we did cooking classes, we still had our day jobs, and we just loved it so much. We're like, you know what, we're going to dive into this. And so we did that in 2019 and just started teaching people Ayurveda and yoga and all of these beautiful things. And I really loved that work. But my role in that company was more marketing, the ops, really pulling everything together. And the more I sat with people, the more I realized, like, as incredible as the science and this wisdom is, I don't think it's where my skill set and my personality are like best suited to help people. I really loved the talking about it, the marketing, the and the more I, I did that for my own brand, the more people would come and ask me questions about that. And actually we held this like kind of free monthly mastermind. It was um probably like five or six practitioners and I just loved being in that space with them and they'd always bring their business questions and we got to talk about that. And I was like, wow, I really, really love this. And so when I left that business with my partner and started on this journey, I was like, I know I want to do marketing. And I, I really think it needs to be for this niche because I care so much about more and more people knowing about holistic options that they have. And this is kind of my way to get that message out there without being the one who's delivering it one-on-one -on -one with clients. It's so fascinating. I kind of knew a little bit about that just having been following you for a while. I, I read a little bit about your story on your website. But it was so fascinating to hear more in depth because I did a lot of marketing. I did a lot of, I started a nonprofit. I was a journalist. I did, I was an editor, a copywriter, worked at NPR. Like I did all these things. And then I was like, I'm going to go just do Jotish now. Like I was just kind of like, you know, at first it was like Ayurveda and Jotish. And then I was like, just Jotish. And, but then when the pandemic hit, I had all these friends calling me because I had built Dr. Roberts Fabota's business and they knew that. And they were like, okay. I don't know what to do. I've been running things in person and now my business is completely collapsed. I need your help. And I was just giving them help. And it was really fun. Like you said, I was having a lot of fun. And then the results were that they were making lots of money and it was going really well for them. And I was like, hmm, maybe I should combine these two things because this is actually really fun. And it just seems to be meeting a need that people have. So I love that you kind of recognize that as well. It's like, 
you get to be a conduit for this knowledge by helping people spread the word. So that's so cool. <laughs> yeah. It's funny how we like <laughs> try to really pigeonhole ourselves into one thing. And then the universe is like, nope, we're actually going to use all of these things together. And that's what I think is really makes it unique and special. So it's fun to reflect on that. Yeah. And so often we bring really cool skills to the table and can combine those in some way to really create a powerful product or service that's going to change somebody's life. And so... Let's talk about marketing. Let's talk a little bit about like what specifically drew you to marketing. Why do you love it so much? Yeah, I think what I love about marketing is I've always been really fascinated by psychology and then also business. Business feels like a game to me. And like as I was growing up, I've always been an athlete and wanted to understand the game and the game strategy. And I think it's kind of a combination of those things. And really, it comes down to communication, which is something I love. I love storytelling, speaking, writing, and being a good marketer is about understanding how to communicate to someone else based on their needs. And it's I always say marketing is having, you know, one-on-one conversations at scale because it's really not we tend to think it's like talking at people or sharing at people, but it's really more of a conversation and almost everything you do is is for your your clients, or your customers. And if you don't know what they're saying or what they need, then you don't have good messaging because you don't understand how to speak to them. So I think that's what I love most about it. And especially in the work that I do now working with solopreneurs, it's like they have such strong personal stories. And I love that human element where it's not just about the business for them. It's about so much more. And I love pouring that into marketing and figuring out all the ways that we can share that. So it's not just you know an advertisement. It's not just sharing educational content, but it's really bringing who they are to life. It actually sometimes becomes one of the strongest selling points for people and one of the reasons they're attracted to that person. Yeah, I think when we use the word marketing, sometimes it's intimidating for people. You know, like a lot of people listening, they might be like, it's this big thing. Yeah. Marketing, you know? So, like, let's break it down and kind of play a little bit in here. Cause, like you said, storytelling, that's a really important part is telling your story. So maybe we can start there, like the role of storytelling, what makes a good story in a marketing capacity? Like maybe you can share a little bit about that. Yeah. The way I like to think about stories is like, you know, one of the best ways we we learn how to do storytelling ourselves is to look at the type of things we love to consume, whether it's, you know, you love fiction novels, maybe there's shows that you love, maybe you have people in your life that you love to listen to or podcasts. And think about the different elements. And there's always, you know, there's, it's called the hero, hero journey. It's probably something that people might have heard of. And it's always this, this person, right? Who has a struggle, but they're being called to do something bigger and they go on this journey. And sometimes there are side quests. Sometimes they have small wins. Sometimes there are big challenges, but ultimately they reach this kind of goal. And in marketing, you're telling that hero's journey, but it's actually not you who's the hero, right? It's your client. And so when you're telling a story about someone, you, you're understanding what sometimes in marketing we call like the pain point. So this is what you're normally helping people overcome and you're letting them understand that you're with them the, the entire journey. So it's not always easy to get from point A or point B. That's what you or your service or your good is helping them do. And you're taking this winding road with them to get to this end point, which is like, you know, that happily ever after that moment at the end of the movie. And so there's so many different ways you can weave that story. And if you think about all of the different people that you can help, all of those are different stories that you can weave in and share and play with. So yeah, that's kind of how I think about it. It's like this hero and it's your client. And how are you kind of the sidekick to that hero? And and what are you helping them accomplish? So what tips would you have for somebody who's 
struggling to insert more story in their work? Like what is a first step that someone could take or think about like maybe like a journaling prompt that they could do to to kind of help unlock some storytelling? I think one of the easiest ways, and this isn't even really telling a story, but it's adding more storytelling elements, really taking it back to like the most simplistic thing, just using more examples. I think oftentimes one of the biggest mistakes I see, especially holistic health practitioners make is they have this tendency in their content and their marketing to just want to educate, right? Like take their textbook and just like share it to the world. (laughs) And that's good. That does help establish credibility, authority and some capacity. I'm not saying that that's wrong, but pull from your experience. That's what makes you so unique. And for people who are fresh or starting out, like the greatest story that you have is your own story. So for example, if someone is scared to work with holistic health because they think it will cost them a lot of money, use what you've learned from your story as an example to share with them, okay, here's why it actually doesn't cost a lot of money, or here's why it's not that hard, or here's why you don't have to give up all the things that you love and pull from your own experience so people can actually see what that looks like. Because it's one thing to tell people, hey, you won't have to give up all the things you love. It's another thing for me to say, like, I am obsessed with coffee. I would never give it up. And I was afraid to start Ayurveda because I thought I'd have to. And then I didn't. I learned how to work with it. Then someone can kind of attach that. And that's something they remember, right? And they can they have a, a coffee in their life where they're like, okay, if it's pizza for me, then I can I can work with pizza. And so it's those little things that allow people to kind of store them into their memories and make deeper connections with. Mm. To find out like what those objections are, I always teach my clients like, you gotta go talk to your people, right? And and in your sales calls, take note when certain things come up again and again. Or if you don't do sales calls, what's coming in your inbox, what's coming in your DMs, what questions are people having? Make sure you're addressing those things like on the sales page, in the FAQs, in your content, in your newsletters, right? So that people actually are addressing those issues before they even get to you. They feel really comfortable. So it's kind of That's something that can be baked into the process. 100%. I feel so strongly about that. And that's something that actually back when I was in my corporate gig, I used to think like handling objections was a scary thing where you were always trying to like kind of get people to the yes. And I've realized since then that it's not about that. Oftentimes it's miscommunication and something struck me so much when um, I was actually, you know, very early on in my Ayurveda days, when people would say later after they kind of like learned what I was doing, they'd have all of these misconceptions. And they'd be like, Oh, I thought it was actually like this diet, or I kind of thought it was like whole 30. And I'm like, wait, what? No, I never talked about it like that. But I think it's also helpful to your point to kind of add to that list of things to do is like, talk to your current one to one clients and be like, what hesitancies or resistances did you have? Because you'll often find that things are just a lack of clarity. And it's not even that they were resistant to you or you know, to your service. It's just they truly didn't understand. And so the more clarity that you can bring to your messaging and the simpler you can make things, the the better it is for everybody. Yeah. I mean, you're sort of touching on something that's just occurred to me, but like ethical marketing means a lot to a lot of people, right? But it's how can we really care for the people who we are serving? Addressing objections is not trying to manipulate them to get them to a yes. For me, like the ethical marketing approach is like, actually, here's how I can help you understand what it is so that you can make a decision if this is a fit for you or not. So I don't know if you have any thoughts in general on ethical marketing, but I would love to hear them if you do. (laughs) I I have a lot of thoughts, but (laughs) I will say like one thing that's helpful for people and especially if you're someone who has sales conversations, because this used to kind of terrify me at the beginning of because it's one thing when you're selling for somebody else, or if you you know work at a big organization, you're kind of selling something somebody else built, or you're selling your company's reputation. When it's you and your brand on the line, it's like a little bit scarier, right? It feels like you're putting more of yourself out there. And so that used to be really hard for me to do until I started thinking about 
sales conversations is one, just a, a conversation to explore if this is actually even the right fit for someone. And it's okay if it's a yes, and it's okay if it's a no. And what I try to do in every conversation is leave people with the options. It's like I've given you enough support or kind of enough direction where you can either DIY this or if you want to make this faster or easier, then I'm here to help. And that that always feels good to me to think about it in that way. It's like you can totally do this yourself or find a different solution or alternative or I'm here to help you. But it never feels like you have to um, be pressured into saying something, saying yes or saying no. Because I think I might have told her the story last time we chatted, Paula, but there was a time when I was using a sales script given to me by somebody else. And it just felt so, so icky. It had, <laughs> it probably had a lot of good elements, but I think the intention behind it that I had was more out of fear and more out of wanting the sale and that it just never felt good. And at the time, I was really struggling between like, does my body hate this because it's something new and challenging? Am I resisting? the thing that's hard? Or does this actually not feel like it's an integrity with me? And it took me, I would say probably 5, maybe even 10 conversations before I'm like, this is just not an integrity. And I had to change the way that I did things. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs kind of fall into this trap where it it wasn't the script necessarily that was bad. It was that I was kind of allowing someone else to take over my agency. And I wanted someone else to kind of do this thing for me. And I just follow their exact system. Even though it wasn't, it wasn't right for me and it didn't feel right for me. And so I think ethical marketing is, you know, you as a, as a business owner or as a marketer caring about people, what, what you said, I think that's like the number one thing. And then two, doing things that only feel really solid and good in your body and they can feel like a challenge, but they also need to feel like, okay, I, I care deeply about this person. That's why I'm doing it and, and not for any other kind of like side reason or underlying thing. Yeah. And I would also say don't not follow up. Like definitely do follow up because like I I actually get frustrated when people don't follow up with me and the majority of people need at least 7 touches before they say yes. So you're dropping the ball if you're not following up. Like just sending an email and saying, "Hey, I'm thinking of you." Like we'd had this discussion and I realized that I have this availability, you know, are you interested, right? And asking a direct question, they can say no, right? You're not put pressuring anyone. So we all have like bad experiences with sales. I know I did. My dad's a car salesman and he's actually one of the good ones. He's helped a lot of people who otherwise wouldn't be able to get a car. He's like, um, you know, given them loans and stuff, like make sure that they had access to funding and stuff. So he's been a good influence, but he spends time with a lot of car dealers. So I've been around, I've like been around sales in a way that I thought like, Oh, I don't know about this. Right. For me, I had to like reinvent how I do sales and think about it in a different way. So like what you were saying, but definitely following up is part of your job because people will think about it. And when you come back to them and you say like, Hey, I was thinking about you and here's this opportunity. They might say yes that time. Or they might refer you to someone who knows. So they might invite you to be on their podcast, but you're staying in touch. And that's also part of what makes ethical, uh, you know, marketing for me is just building good relationships. Yeah. And I think it's back to the intention. Like you can follow up with someone seven times and the intention is good and it's pure and that's great. And you can follow up with someone seven times. The intention is not pure. And it's kind of up to you individually to know like, where are you at and how does that feel in your body? And then honoring that versus like kind of having a hard and fast set of rules. Absolutely. Let's nerd out a little more about marketing. Like, let's choose a little section, which would be like hooks. Yeah. Let's talk about like, this is so important. Even just talking about the titles of your emails, 
thinking about those in a strategic way. So what tips would you give people about being more strategic around their hooks? Maybe explain what a hook is so that we know. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a good starter. So a hook is depending on the the different content that you're consuming, it looks different, right? So on Instagram, it might be kind of that first thing you read, or it could be a subject line, or it could be um, the article or the headline of a news article. But it's basically the few seconds that you have to capture someone's attention that lets them know, hey, I want to continue consuming this thing, or they're going to say, mm, nope, not for me, I'm going to scroll on by. And what I think makes a good hook is figuring out what what is something that's going to excite someone else. And there's, you know, all content kind of falls into like these four buckets, right? You have like your educational content, you have your engaging content, you have your empowering content. Think about how you want to make someone feel when they're on the other end, other side of that content, right? And a really good way to do this is to give people kind of concrete, specific things that they're going to be learning. And so you'll often see people if they're doing educational content, like, Seven things I've learned about stress in the 12 years that I've been a therapist, right? I'd be like, Oh, that's interesting. She's speaking from her experience. I'm going to learn seven things. I know this is a list. I understand this is super practical, right? The engaging thing is more of the storytelling element. So it could be something like this person lost, I'm going to make this up, but like 20 pounds by eating pizza every single day. Like, hold on. (laughs) Wait a minute. What's what's happening here? It kind of has that shock factor, right? And you're like, okay, I'm going to be entertained by this. Whatever the story is, I'm, I I want to know what the ending is. So that's a hook. That's something to get people excited and curious. And then the empowering could be something like a strong quote or maybe like a short life lesson, something that, that really starts to resonate and sink in with people. So yeah, just think of something that's more like short, bite-sized, kind of has that that like shareable feel where you're like, okay, I want to share this with someone else because this made me feel really good. And so when I think of a strong hook, I think something that really elicits emotion and particularly curiosity. So you want to give them a little bite or a little sneak peek of what you're going to share and then give them the whole story once they're you know, kind of invested. Yeah. And I think also you do a great job of like kind of newsjacking, like looking at what's going on in the world and how can what you do apply or utilize some of the zeitgeist, so to speak, like what's what are people thinking about, you know, like, and how can you give a take on that? And that also can serve as a hook. Yeah, absolutely. And that's something too, when I used to do a lot of like pitching to publications is that's type of thing that those and I'm sure you know, (laughs) a lot about that. But um, news wants to see that right anything that's that's kind of time bound or has a sense of urgency. And especially in the world of like holistic health practitioners, anything that's seasonal or kind of relates back to something like current events, something that's going on in the world or how people are feeling very currently. All of those things have a strong hook because it's relevant. It's something that's already on people's minds. So instead of interrupting a conversation, it feels like you're very much a part of the conversation. You're adding to it. So you and I talked about how like Barbie was a big thing. And I love seeing all the takes people had on Barbie, whether it was like Barbie's website design or Barbie's brand palette. Like all of those things are super fun because it's like, oh, Barbie's top of mind. It's everywhere. Here are all of these different people's unique POVs or takes on the situation. And it feels very relevant and current. And I think the algorithm helps push those things. Not that I love, you know, catering to the algorithm, but that's also helpful too, whenever you're trying to get content out there. So what other things do you find people? in like the holistic space, like where do you find them getting stuck in their marketing? Or what myths do they have about it that you like to myth bust? (laughs) (laughs) I feel like there are so many things here. I'd I'd say the biggest one is people tend to jump into like kind of doing what other people are doing without necessarily backing it up and looking at what what is my strategy and my intention behind this. I actually just did a whole whole workshop on this for um, for Bandian Partners. And it was interesting because we spent the whole time kind of like 
backing things up and being like, Instagram is not a strategy, right? What's actually a strategy is saying, okay, who... And it's always the most important question, who am I actually trying to reach? And depending on how you answer that question, and as you start to delve even further into that, you're asking things like, Okay, Sarah is my ideal client. Where is she spending her time, her attention, her energy? Because that's where I want to be marketing. And maybe it's Instagram and maybe it's not. And so just picking a channel and posting isn't a strategy. You need to really think again, like be very client centric where you want to be where they are. You want it to be very organic. You want it to be very natural. And so if Sarah is spending time on Instagram, what are the type of things that she's looking for? What are the things that resonate with her? And even your delivery of different messaging, how is that going to connect with her? So I always love the example of like, let's say you were a 90s kid or you know your ideal client is a 90s kid, then like use those references because that's the way that she sees and thinks about the world. And so just kind of like having a thought and popping it up on Instagram isn't a strategy. It's really about always coming back to who are you talking to? Because you and I were having a one-on-one conversation. I would say things differently to you than I would my husband who knows nothing about business or marketing, right? And so you want to kind of think about your marketing in the same way. It's like, how can you tailor that conversation in a way where they really hear you and they feel like they're understood, they're seen, and they're heard by you. So yeah, that's a big one. I love that because I see a lot of times that people forget to kind of put... I always say it's like putting on the glasses of your ideal client. So you're like looking through the lenses of their experience. So you're not just sharing like, here's Ghee. You're like, here's Ghee because you're a postpartum mom and you're experiencing A, B, and C. Yes. You want to use Ghee for this, right? And so you're talking to them. So I think that's kind of what you're talking about. Am I right? Yes, absolutely. I think the other thing too is this is really prevalent along holistic health practitioners. It's like we know that Ayurveda can help everyone. We know acupuncture can help everyone. And so there's this resistant to niching. And Mm -hmm. I kind of want to give a caveat before I go into this because I had a conversation last week that reminded me, you know, of this. But depending on where you're at in your business, niching is going to look different. But if you're just starting off, you really need to pick something that's like, this is the thing I love talking about. These are the people I love helping. And it doesn't mean that you're going to put yourself into this teeny box, like my niche is holistic health practitioners and people outside of that find me and it's okay. Right. But I think there's, there's such resistance because we understand that in the West, we have a very reductionist view of health where it's like, Oh, we talk about one illness or one symptom and we isolate them, which isn't how we want to operate in, in the world of holistic health. But yet it's still something we kind of need to do in business. And there's a lot of different ways you can talk about that holistically. So even if your niche is, let's say, like fibromyalgia and autoimmune diseases, yes, those are connected to a lot of different things. But the like kind of center point that you always come back to was like, who is the person who has an autoimmune disease needs my support, even if she could be dealing with bloat and fatigue and like a hundred other symptoms that are actually connected to that. So um, I think if you're early in your business, you start with kind of a specialty who you help. And then the later on you get, you actually, I think, start to kind of become more of your niche. I always say like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, like mm-hmm. Amazon is, you know, started off in like online book selling. And now Amazon right. sells to everyone and their niche is who they are, which is like, they are going to get you whatever you need super fast. Right. And so it's having kind of enough awareness in your journey to realize when you kind of make that transition of like, it's not who you're serving, but it's who you are. And a lot of that too, I think, comes in confidence in your values and the way that you have thought leadership and talk about different things within your industry. That if you start to notice yourself doing those things, that's when you're sort of pivoting into a different type of niche. So I don't want to go too deep into that, but I hope high level that was kind of helpful. Oh, yeah. No, I I could nerd out about niche all the time (laughs) because I, I love helping people figure out their niche and include their values in that and and really layer in like what makes their unique services unique. 
And I think what's interesting in what you just said is like with Dr. Robert Sabota, people come to me and they're like, I want to do something similar to him. But I'm like, he is the niche. <laughs> He's been doing this for 50 years. So it's different for him than it would be for somebody who's like closer to starting out their business. So you can't just do like, here's the smorgasbord of all the things I know. It's like, here's where your client is and what they need. And this is how you help them get to their the resolution of that. It's really important to niche smaller in the beginning so that you are really helping a specific group of people. That becomes a very powerful place to be and you can do really well in your business. And then you can start to go like this. That's the symbol I'm doing with my hands is like prayer hands. And then you're going out like you start to go out and start to share your, your unique take. So yeah, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And I have one thing to add too, because I feel like the pandemic really changed how new entrepreneurs kind of think about marketing. And I feel like we've kind of lost like the power of offline marketing. And when I say offline, I mean like you know, talking to people in real life and like hanging posters on free boards and doing collaborations with people. It's because we didn't have that option for a while. And I think the power of offline marketing is you actually don't have to have this strong niche because you're having one-on-one conversations with people. So if you're like, Oh, I do holistic health and someone asks you more about it and they're like, Oh, I have this chronic pain. Perfect. Dive into that with them. And then you can start talking about you're kind of niching for them. And so. If you don't know where you want to go or what you want to do, I'd say just kind of get off the computer, get off, get offline and have conversations with people. And the more that you have that real life experience, the more you're going to know what you're drawn to that be- can become your niche online where it's you definitely need to stand out there versus one to one. It's it's way easier to go deeper and establish trust quicker. Definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. When you're online, you have to do things to establish that yeah. trust, you know, like in your content, you have to be showing your credibility. You have to be educating so people trust you. You have to have testimonials and other people maybe vouching for you being on podcasts on other stages, you know, so that people can move from cold to warm more quickly. Yeah, absolutely. I would love to get a hot take from you about AI. So what are your thoughts about using ChatGPT to help you in marketing? And are you using it? Yeah, that's such a good question. Um, My short answer is yes, I'm using it, but probably not in the way that people think. Um, I actually had this conversation with a client probably two or three months ago. And she was wanting to use ChatGPT to write all of these things and she'd bring them to me. And I was like, ah, this doesn't sound anything like you. And I do know AI is going to continue to get better and better. So I do think it will get better at at doing this. But if you're someone who wants to stand out in, especially if you're doing organic content, I think it needs to sound like you. And so where I love to use ChatGPT is if I maybe need like 50 different ideas on something. So for me, it's very much like a a thought sparker or thought starter where I'm like, okay, I want to talk about this topic. What are the most asked questions about X? Or where do people struggle with Y? So for example, for me, I might type in something like, where do people get content marketing wrong? And then it'll give me 15 ideas. And I'm like, oh, okay. If these are the questions people have here, how I would answer it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think people do the opposite where they kind of ask the question and they have ChatGPT <laughs> do the answer. And then they're like, copy and paste. And I'm like, ah, what's missing is the, the secret ingredient, which is you and the way that you bring that to life. And no matter how many prompts I've given ChatGPT, there are just always too many weird salutations and emojis. And it's like, I love emojis, but <laughs> what are these choices? So... Yeah, I love it for structure, um, especially if I'm writing like YouTube scripts for a client or, you know, kind of doing things that can be templatized. It's helpful in that way to kind of organize my thoughts. But anything that involves like a little bit of your soul, a little bit of creativity, it's like hold that really near and dear. And I always think about like, I can't remember who said this, maybe Anne Hanley. Artists these days, you you can have people who easily take pictures on their iPhone, right? So it kind of feels like something that has been given to everybody where it doesn't feel special, but it's like people still pay 
lots of money for artists to hand hand paint art or to take really good pictures. And same with like furniture, like a handmade piece of wooden furniture is worth even more because it's been commoditized where it's like, that's actually even more of a rarity. And so Mm. I kind of love this thinking that it's like, if your writing is that good, where you're the person who's kind of up here and ChatGPT is like down here and that's where most of the content is, you're going to really stand out if you continue to flex that muscle. Totally. And you can use it to do research. That's something that I've been experimenting with. It's like, like you said, like, what are people struggling with or typing into Google, you know, it's like, I want to understand like where, where their minds are at, or, you know, if I want to know more in depth about a specific issue or something, then I will ask it and get information. But you can also say like, what are 10 SEO dialed in titles that I can call this blog post on X, da da da. Like you can even put the blog post in there and ask it to title it in 10 different ways with SEO dialed in. Like you can do things like that, which are really helpful for expediting people finding you, right? Because that SEO has been thought about. Yeah, that's a great way to use it. And I think the more that... I I think it's great to practice with too and play with. I think a lot of people in this industry are kind of resistant to it at all. So it's like, just have it open. And if you have a question, you'd ask Google, type it into ChatGPT and kind of get just get used to having it there as an aid. And that way you can see if you can make things more efficient, but not outsourcing it for the things that are like diamond or gold. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Well, I have your chart open here. And not surprisingly, you have a very strong Mercury. And I was not... I was like, oh, yeah, this is clear. So your ruling planet Venus is with Mercury in the ninth, which is so nice. You have Jupiter in the first aspecting onto that. So and you've got the nodes there on the first and seventh. Maybe you know a little bit already about this. But like, you just went into your K2 period. And K2 is all about disruption, you know? So like you spent all this time in your Mercury period, you spent 17 years just honing your craft, really getting clear about marketing. Wonderful. And then you're entering into a new marketplace in K2 and it's like being a little bit of a disruptor, you know? So if I were your coach, I would say like lean into that because people are going to perceive it whether you mean it or not. And so like, what are those big things that you want to say? Like when we see K2 activated in the chart, a lot of entrepreneurs... I work with have this where K2 is activated and it's a great opportunity to like say something a little more controversial and like take your your vision to the next level. You know what I mean? Because it's also with Mars and Mars is strong. So you, you're definitely an entrepreneur and that's not going to change during this K2 period. So <laughs> good to know. <laughs> How does that all sit with you? Yeah, I mean, it feels very resonant. And I, I've actually been a little bit nervous for... It's called Dasha, right? Is that what the period is mm-hmm. called? Um, yeah. It seems a little bit scary. And so I kind of like the positive spin that you have on it. It's like mm. the disruption can be good. And if you lean into it, it's more like... How can you shake things up for the better or say things that might make people think about marketing or whatever in a different way? And so I love, I love the way you frame it like that rather than like everything in your life yeah. is going to change because it's like, ah, no, no. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, you're in your Saturn return. So you probably are feeling some like, okay, I'm fully in my adult stage now. And like, what do I want to be known for? What am I creating? What is this life about? Like all those questions from having Saturn just like cycle all the way around. And because it's an Aquarius, like that's another indication that you are an innovator, you know, so you have that in your chart. I work with a lot of innovators and I think it's just something about entrepreneurs that we kind of have an innovation streak. But I feel like we're in a particular time right now where a lot of people are seeing a vision that's just slightly ahead of what the rest of us can see. And so it's sometimes it's really hard to hold that and to be like, no, I'm good. I can really see this. Like we have to buffer ourselves. And so like you have that, like that K2 is kind of bringing to the surface 
this ability for you to even rise in your visionary status, like for people to come to you and really for you to have a new vision of the way marketing's done, for example, or maybe something else. Jimmy Carter, for example, came to his presidency in K2. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is in her K2 period. So she's very outspoken, right? And she's causing a lot of people to <laughs> to react to her because she has such strong ideas, react in good ways and in bad ways. But like K2 has that quality of bringing polarity, which can be helpful in marketing. Yeah. I love that. And I feel like the way I talk about marketing doesn't feel very polarizing to me. It just feels very inherent. But I actually think that's kind of like a nice trend that's happening in the world of business overall is that... And I think it's very driven by consumers where they want more transparency. And you're starting to see so many brands acting like more human. Um, And for example, like what I mean by that is if you've ever, I think it's very popular, like the Wendy's, um, Twitter account, it it acts like, it acts like one person who's like always trolling people and then like Taco Bell gets in on it. And you're starting to see these brands who instead of being like kind of the Wendy's corporate face, it's like, oh, there's someone behind that and they're witty and they're funny. And on TikTok, you see that a lot where it's like, oh, I'm the social media manager and my boss is going to fire me if this doesn't get a million views. And some of those are clickbait tactics. Yes, but it's it, they do so well because I think it's like, ah, you're kind of seeing the face behind the brand. And that's what I've always loved about marketing. And I love that this is kind of the direction we're heading because I think overall, it's going to be really beneficial for people to have that transparency to feel that humanness. And I think it'll help people just do better business in general too, if they do feel like, okay, there's a human on the line and on the hook and not necessarily a company. It's like people take more responsibility for their actions as well when that's the case. Mm. What I tell my clients and like what we've done recently with Dr. Sabota's Instagram reels, we've kind of blown up his account and he's gone over a hundred thousand followers at this point because a lot of the things that he says are kind of flipping things on their head or giving like an alternative take than what everybody else would say or think. You know, a lot of people would come to him and they'd be like, I'm looking for my guru. And he finally was like, you're not looking for your guru. Your guru is looking for you. Okay. And so like that blew up because people were like, what? You know? So he has so many things like that, that I really kind of coached him to be like, remember you said that? Like, let's like create a reel that flips this on its head. And that's been performing really, really well. So like you are the type of person just looking at your chart where those kinds of things would perform really well, where it's not like a polarizing in a political craziness way, but it's polarizing in like the thing you thought you knew is actually, I think it's like this. So for anyone who's listening, like that is performing really well in marketing right now. It's just to kind of have your take which is a little bit against the grain. And I think that's, that's, I love that you bring that up because that's something that, um, is, I feel like really hard. Like when I sit down with, when I start with new one to one clients, I have this like kind of giant content questionnaire. And the one piece that always has like almost nothing in it is where I'm like, what are some strong opinions you have about your industry? And I'll give them some prompts or examples depending on who they are and like what their business is in. But people really struggle with this. And so do I, where it's kind of like this kind, I think I have a little, you know, the little people pleasing tendency, or you want to be nice to everyone and don't want anyone to feel like they're attacked. And it's really powerful. It's easier to do for someone else, obviously, when I'm ghostwriting, but that, that stuff always performs so well for clients. And I, I, I also, I see that in myself, I struggle to do that sometimes because I have that like, ooh, I don't know. Do I want to upset anyone? Do I want to poke the bear? So I kind of love the confirmation for you. Like, yeah, Yeah. poke that bear, Rachel. (laughs) Yeah. And that's that's funny because you're a Libra rising, you know, and Libra rising is the scales, right? It's to find that balance and to be... It's like the most... um, What's the word? Like diplomatic of all the signs, Mm -hmm. you know, like, so that is inherent in your personality. So it's almost... It's interesting because it's almost like the invitation is for you to find 
the place to poke the bear. <laughs> yeah. It's like, don't poke too much, Rachel, but <laughs> a or little poke it in a, you know, anyway, if you do poke the bear, it's going to be like, oh, I can hear it from her. Like people yeah. will, will take it in a way that they're like, oh yeah, that's nice. <laughs> You're going to massage the bear. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's a good visual. <laughs> yeah. Well, I have a few rapid fires for you if you're ready to to jump into those. Yeah, yeah. Sure. What's one piece of advice that has really helped you in your life? I think... Actually, this is interesting. This is what I kind of wrote my newsletter about tomorrow. But it's like, always think about how you want to leave people. Like how you want them to feel after they have are in whatever situation that you, you are in with them. So I think that's the best one. I think I always think about that. And it's been super helpful. Um, so do you have a morning routine? And what part is non-negotiable aside from waking up? <laughs> I used to have a crazy morning routine and I've really had to scale that back. And now it's very simple. So um, I get up, I go on a long walk with my dog. I just moved and I'm in the woods. So there's this path that I love. And then when we get back, I do my workout. And then I love just like a little bit of breath work, one to two minutes before the shower. And like, that's it, which is so crazy to say now because my old routine was probably like an hour and a half long and like full of all the things. So the simplicity of this now feels really good. It's the 30s. You're coming <laughs> on. <to> the... <laughs> like less is That's, more. <laughs> I know. Totally. That was that was my vibe for sure. So what are you reading right now? Or what book would you recommend to the audience that, you know, it kind of encapsulates something that you love? I'm always reading like three books at once. So the like businessy book I'm reading is Everybody Writes by Anne Hanley. I recommend it for everyone. I just love that book. Even if you're not a writer, it's so good. And she's hilarious. And then the other one is by Taylor Jenkins Reid. I think it's called One True Loves. Um, I just finished it, but it's more of a fiction. So I kind of love to have both, like my, my workbook and my playbook. I love that. Do you use Audible as well? Or do you only read really um, like tac- tactile books? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've tried Audible. I'm not like a huge fan. Um, but I always have like my Kindle and then I have like my hardback and my paperback. So it's funny. I have my three and they're like all in different versions. <laughs> I'm like, a, I have an Audible for like when I'm cooking or driving or something. And then I have like my book by my bedside table. <laughs> so cool. So is there anything else that you want to talk about around marketing that I may have missed? Or is there some other uh, hot takes that you have you want to share? Hmm. I think the biggest thing is like, don't be afraid to simplify your marketing and just kind of have like your maybe three things you do each week that you feel like really move the needle. And if you aren't sure what those are, like that's your number one needle mover is like figure out what moves the needle in your business. I think marketing is and can be super complex. There are so many channels, there's so many tactics. And the more you kind of dive into those, the more scatterbrained that you can feel. So Kind of like how I was talking about my morning routine. If you can figure out just those those small things you do that connect you to people and that allow you to share your message and that allow you to learn about your client, that's all you have to do. And just kind of keep coming home to that if you feel lost. But yeah, I think that's that's all I've got. <laughs> all the wisdom I have awesome. to share. <laughs> oh, I'm sure that's not true. Um, so how can people connect with you online and find out more about your work? Or, and are there offers right now that you'd like to share? So I'm Rooted Period Strategy on Instagram and therootedstrategy.com is my website. And I'm really, really excited because I've only done one-on-one work and all my one-on-one work up until this point. So all my one-on-one work is usually with people who have kind of been around the block for a while, which I love. I love working with those people. They're experts in their craft. But I really wanted to expand and and make something that's more for people who are maybe 
a few years in or newer. So in yeah, a week from today, I'm launching a kind of marketing subscription. So it's going to be a marketing resource hub specifically built for holistic health practitioners. And I've taken kind of all of these years of me doing marketing content and made them into templates. So like Instagram templates, um, email newsletter templates, copy for your website pages. And there's going to be other things in there too, like pitch templates and how to you know audit your Instagram bio, things like that. But I'm doing that at $37 a month. So everyone can try it, play with it, put it on. And I'm, I'm really excited to launch this because I feel like it's my my child right now. And um, mm-hmm. talking about shaking things up, I hope that this is it, that it can help a lot of people like feel really confident in their marketing and like take the guesswork and the time out of it. So that's what's coming awesome. up for me. So that should be out by the time this comes out, which means that we'll have a link in the show notes for all of those things. So thank you so much for joining me and for sharing more about marketing with everybody. Yeah, thanks. For, it's always such a pleasure to chat with you. So thank you so much for having me on. This has been great. You too. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Cosmic Business Podcast. We hope it was inspiring for you. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave a review for us so other spirit-led entrepreneurs can find out about us. I want to thank Team Podcast for production support on this podcast, as well as the musicians of the music that we're listening to now, Alexis Georgopoulos and Jeffrey Cantu Ledesma, from an album Fragments of a Season, which you can check out wherever you listen to music. I hope you have a wonderful day and I look forward to connecting with you on a future episode.